I love coming up here and um, hearing from God and then kind of opening up God's Word to you and, and articulating uh, what I've found in Scripture. And I would encourage you, we've, we've started a Wednesday night Bible study where we're teaching you those skills. Um, you can still jump in on that. You're not, you're not behind. Uh, we're, we are recording some of the, um, the online meetings so that you could catch up if you needed to. But I would encourage you to, to um, if you're signed in, continue to keep with the group. Uh, and if you're curious about, hey, how can, I open up, how can I open up this book and read it and understand it? Um, that's, that's the skills we're attempting to, to teach. And so I'd encourage you to, to stay involved and con- or get involved in, in learning that. Um, but that's what I'm going to do for you today. Once I get my technology in order. There we go. This morning I want to talk to you from the Old Testament. Um, for 55 years there was a king called Manasseh. Who, who ruled in Jerusalem from the year 697 to 642 B.C. So that's 600 and something years before Christ was born. Uh, and 2 Chronicles 33 verse 9 tells us this about Manasseh. It said, Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And if you go back... Uh, in, in Scripture, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and they came to, to the land of the Canaanites, God told them, listen, the people here are doing deplorable things. Uh, you need to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's how, that's how ugly what they were doing was before the Lord. And, and um, Israel did. And I know there's a lot of thoughts about how could God order the killing of people, and, and that's not what we're here to do today. The point is that... that Chronicles tells us that Manasseh led Israel, or Jerusalem and Judah, to do things worse than those nations that God had them drive out. Which is, you can go into 2 Chronicles 33, and in that arena, and you can read some of those things. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, group it together here for you. He, in, he basically, he encouraged the worship of other gods. And you say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, when you start looking at uh, the gods that they worshipped, and the way in which they worshipped, um, it becomes pretty uh, terrifying. Uh, first of all, they built shrines and places of worship for the multiple gods all over the country, everywhere you went. In fact, he even set up idols in God's temple in Jerusalem, where Solomon had built a temple and said, this is the place for the name of the Lord our God. Manasseh went in and actually set up idols in that temple. Um, which obviously is offensive to God. Uh, some, of the, some of the deities that they worshipped, um, one would be Molech, which is famous for uh, the sacrificing of children to this god of fertility, basically. The god was supposedly in control of, of uh, the rain and crops and fertile ground and those kinds of things, and so... Being an agricultural environment, they didn't have uh, you know, the modern technology and plants and all that kind of stuff. People farmed the land, whether uh, they had crops or they had cattle. And so they needed weather to cooperate so that they could survive. And so they would sacrifice their children in fire to make Molech happy. Um, there was also uh, Asherah, 
who was the mother goddess, supposedly, who was the mother of all gods. And so um, it was through her having sexual relations with uh, Baal or, or Moloch that, that the other gods came about. So worship for her in, involved shrine prostitution, where you would actually, uh, um, you know, sexuality was basically worshipped in the culture. And then you had uh, Baal as well, or Baal, and, and he was considered um, that he displaced El, which was the Israelite god, um, and so he was the master of all gods, kind of like the Roman Zeus and whatnot. And, and just their practices and worship of these gods and trusting in these gods um, and the way in which they did was, was horrific. Historically, um, what, we're, what is suggested is that Manasseh did this and introduced these gods to Judah for economic gain. That by doing this, it brought people from around the world, it brought, it brought people, um, uh, the taxes associated with, it, it, it was attractive for people just outside of, of the Jews. And so um, the Bible doesn't say that. Historic, other historical documents suggest that that was his motivation. So he introduced all this pagan worship and everything that came with it to Judah. Um, and then he also killed innocent people. Second uh, uh, Chronicles 33 tells us that the, the streets were full of blood of innocent people. That anybody who uh, stood up against this uh, bringing in of this change of other gods or his rule was just executed. In fact, again, historically, he is credited with killing the prophet Isaiah by sawing him in two. Um, so, just uh, an evil, nasty uh, king who, who led Israel to do things worse than any nation who had lived in that area before. Now, what's cool is at the end of his life, uh, we're told he kind of has a, a, a come-to-God moment, an encounter, where he's uh, put in chains and taken to Assyria, and he cries out to God, and God hears his voice and actually restores him and sends him back, but it's a, it's a, it's a little too... Um, it's too little too late. Judah is already fully entrenched in this worship of other gods and, and this uh, persecuting any people who are really speaking against them, and uh, he can't do much, so he, he dies and passes on. His son Ammon succeeds him, and he, can, he continues in his dad's old ways and just continues to lead Israel in horrific things, and within two years he's assassinated. And then in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Can you imagine? How many, uh, uh, you guys, anybody in here have an eight-year-old? Or know an eight-year-old? You know, can you imagine an eight-year-old becoming king? Right, that's just crazy, crazy thing, but this, but his son became king. He's eight years old. It's the year 640 B.C. And he inherits a mess. He inherits an absolute mess. And to be honest with you, it, it doesn't look a whole lot different then than it does in society today. You can see the, uh, the, the connections here with, uh, with our own uh, fights for, uh, I know we're calling them reproductive rights, but the killing of children uh, in the womb, abortion. I mean, so many of our kids are sacrificed in that way. 
you see the, that uh, sexuality is worshipped in our country, basically. Um, right? People, uh, people make all kinds of excuses. They don't want to give up their sex. Right? And so sex, sexuality is, in all forms of sexuality uh, and, and indulgences are at an all-time high. Uh, the, the political, I mean, they assassinated the previous king and put an eight-year-old in his place. I'm not going to draw connections about who's the eight-year-old or any of those kinds of things, but certainly it feels like the, you know, leadership's in turmoil. We don't know what we want, where we're going. In fact, uh, the people who assassinated Amman, then the, the, the other country people assassinated the people who assassinated him and then put the eight-year-old in his place. And, so, and then there's just worship. People have lost their way. They don't know what's right, what's true. They just... We'll just in, in take in anything, we'll worship anything, just as long as we have some sort of, of personal pleasure, economic gain in our life. Right? Does it, any of this sound familiar? And so, Josiah, at eight years old, inherits this country. And now, Josiah is admired by Christians and Jews alike, for his sweeping reforms and return to God. In fact, there's a scripture uh, that says, no one before nor after turned to the Lord with his whole heart as Josiah did. No king before or after. And so, uh, I hear a lot of talk in our, in our, in our society, and rightly so, of, man, we, some things need to change. We need, we need reform. Uh, you know, we, we've lost our way. We kind of need something different. We don't really know what's different. We need reform. And today we're going to look at the life of Josiah and the reform Josiah bought, brought as an example for us. We cry for change. We just don't know how, right? And, and, and Josiah is a, is a wonderful example for us today and really any age of how to, how to bring about change and reform. Okay. All right. Sorry, my, my thing just lost connection with the, the server in the back. So guys, you're going to have to do the slides. It was working fine until about 10 seconds ago. Okay, so Second uh, Chronicles 34, verse 3. We're going to pick up the story uh, with Josiah. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Whenever you read in the Old Testament, they never really refer to the kings as their actual age. They always refer to uh, history and society in what year of their reign was it. And so in Josiah's, um, can we go to the previous slide, guys? Thank you. In the eighth year of his reign while he was still young. So if he started reigning when he was eight, it's his eighth year. He's 16 years old, and he begins to seek God, just to give that in perspective. Now you can go to the next slide. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So his 12th year of reign, at, at around 20 years old, he begins to purge Jerusalem of the idols that are rampant all around in the country. 
So he begins to remove the idols and restore worship a little bit. Um, and, and I think it's fascinating because we have this, hey, Josiah's eight years old, he becomes king. He seeks God, starts bringing reform. How does the eight-year-old know? I mean, how, how does an eight-year-old know to start seeking God when his father and his grandfather were absolutely evil and the farthest thing from God that you can imagine? How does an eight-year-old at 16 years old then begin to discover, hey, maybe I should start seeking this God? Now, the Bible's not specific, as you can see. It doesn't say so-and-so told Josiah. But we do have this which is fascinating to me, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Next slide. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we see around the 13th year of Josiah's reign, when Josiah is around 21, uh, a specific word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah the prophet, which means Jeremiah the prophet was, was around at the time Josiah's growing up. So scriptures explicitly say Jeremiah entered and said to King Josiah, but certainly Jeremiah was preaching the word of God. And certainly the king would have heard the prophet Jeremiah. And so my point is this. What prompted the change is that Josiah somewhere had to hear about the God of Israel. He had to hear that, hey, what we're doing is wrong. He basically had to hear the preaching of the gospel. And so when Josiah hears the preaching of the gospel it moved him to begin to seek the Lord, which is always our first step. When we hear about God, when you hear the preached word about God, when you, and it should create in, in, in uh, not, maybe not an excitement, but definitely a curiosity to say, listen, I need to seek this God out in what he's saying. There should, there should be a, a move to begin to seek God out. And so we just see this, this uh, timeline of Josiah beginning to seek God and then begin, beginning to remove some of the idol worship from, from uh, Jerusalem and from the surrounding area in, Ju- in Judea. And somewhere over that is Jeremiah, and you can read through the book of Jeremiah. And, and now you can read it, what we call, uh, if you're in the Bible study, historical context. What's going on? In historically around the events going around while this is going on, now you can overlap them and say, huh, now when I read Jeremiah, I understand that Jeremiah came on the scene right after Manasseh and all that he is warning the people of is a result of Manasseh and the people's condition. So now it gives you some insight when you're reading Jeremiah. My point is this. When we hear about the Lord, it should move us to seek him. When we hear uh, something said or something preached or you read something, it should, it should is that right about God? It, it, it should, there should begin a seeking process. Uh, let's continue to go on about um, Josiah. 
In the 18th year, did, did we skip ahead? Yeah, no, verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent, now I might butcher these names, so if you're a scholar, forgive me, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Masiah, the ruler of the city. Next verse, please. With Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So in the 18th year, at 26 years old, he begins to send people to actually repair the temple uh, for worship. Because remember, it had been desecrated by other idols. Um, It had been neglected because nobody was worshiping uh, Yahweh. They were worshiping other gods. So he, he decides, hey, we need to repair this temple. And then verse 14 While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord for the repairs, go ahead. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Now, I think this is fascinating. You say, why is this fascinating? Because all of the stuff that Josiah has been doing up to this point, he's done without knowing the book of the law. He's just been cultivating this seeking God. Like, I'm I'm seeking God. I'm I'm hearing what the prophet is saying. I'm doing my best to honor and to please God with, with what I know. But his heart has been set toward God. And he's been doing all of these changes without even really having a clear path or direction. And then all of a sudden, they're repairing the temple and they find the book of the law, which was basically a scroll. Verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Now, what do you mean he tore his robes? That's, what, is, what is that? In, in all Old Testament literature, when you tore your robes, it was a sign of humility and repentance. It was a, of, um, of great sorrow, uh, of crying out to God. And it was a symbol that, of what was going on inside your heart. So he, he tears his robes in sorrow and repentance before God because he sees uh, the great disparity between how uh, Judah is living and what God expects. He sees this, this great disparity. And can I tell you, when we, when we read the Bible, we will discover the disparity with, between how we are living and what God expects. You, you can't work around it. And, and, and it comes to, well, how are you going to respond when you crack this open in your reading and you realize that God expects something that you're not doing? Or he expects a lifestyle from you that you're not living? What will your response be? See, some people don't pick up the Bible read because they really don't want to know what God has to say. You know, if I just say I can believe in God, I can kind of wander and do my own thing, yet I'm safe because I'm a little ignorant. I don't really know what's going on in here. But as soon as I know, I'm going to be held accountable for this. So it's easier just to, no, no thank you, I'm not interested. But if you do pick this up and you read and you go, oh my gosh, God expects this, and this isn't how what I think, this isn't what I do, this isn't how I live, this isn't what I say. What should our response be? And Josiah is a great example of what our response should be. That he humbled himself. What does that mean? He didn't make excuses for his behavior. 
or the behavior of Judah. He recognized it. He said, yep, I see the difference. I'm not making an excuse. Well, if they knew my background, if, he, if, he, they just, if God just saw how, see how far we've come, God, it's, it's okay. Right? We, we can rationalize or make excuses. Josiah didn't. He humbled himself. He repented. He took personal responsibility. He said, yep, this is us. This is, this is me. This is, this is our kingdom. And then look at some verses to show you what else he did so you can read it for yourself. Verse 31. <clears throat> the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And it goes on. We'll read, uh, we won't read it, but it says he did it with all the people. He committed to following the Lord correctly. Oh, to fo- yeah, I guess it does go on. To follow... <laughs> I'm lost without my my notes in front of me. To follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees with all his heart, all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. So Josiah stands up and he says, listen, we're going to make a covenant. Well, you say, what's a covenant? I'm going to commit to following the Lord correctly. He just makes that commitment. Hey, everything that's written in here, I'm going to commit to following it correctly. Not how I want to, but how it says. And it starts with the commitment. It doesn't start with the perfection of actually doing it. It starts with the desire and the commitment to the Lord to do that. To say, listen, if God outlines it here, I'm going to commit to following, following, thinking, acting, saying like he says. So he committed to doing that. Verse 33. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territories belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God, their ancestors. You say, why is this important? Because Josiah was king of Judah, not king of Israel. That's interesting, isn't it? So, Josiah recognized all of these are my people, and I've removed the, the idols from Jerusalem and Judah, but our cousins in Israel... I'm going after them too. And he was so passionate for the Lord, he, he removed the idols. In fact, if you read through all of that, he goes through how he did it. He did it in such a way that he desecrated the area so it could never be rebuilt again. It would be the equivalent of, if you understood farming, um, historically, uh, the Romans would go into an agricultural community And they would overtake it. And when they didn't want the people to rise up, they would literally pour tons and tons of salt into the soil so nothing would grow. This can no longer be fertile ground. Nothing will grow here again. We're making sure nothing grows here again. We're dumping salt in or modern day would maybe pour oil in it. When you read through what Josiah did, he completely desecrated the area he, he actually dug up bones of old priests and prophets and ground the bones to powder and spread it along uh, over the altars in the area, which was a sign then that this can't be used for sacred worship anymore. He was so tenacious about removing the idols. He had such passion in his heart of fettering out everything, anything that had to do with evil or idol worship. And can I tell you, that has to be our approach in our own lives as well. 
That you have to passionately say, anything that's evil that resides in me, I'm going to work to remove it. When you read your word and you realize, man, my, my, my thoughts on that are not right. My desires for that are not right. My actions and how I live this are not right. They're not godlike. We need to be tenacious to root those out of our lives. And you can do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just give us rules or laws or, or say uh, they're not holy suggestions. Uh, they're commands. If you want reform, if you want prosperity, if you want peace, if you desire all these things, you, you've got to remove that evil. God identifies it. We humble. We repent. We're tenacious about getting rid of it. And then verse 18. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah. But the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. I want to pause right there and just recognize something. First of all, Josiah restored proper worship. They had not celebrated the Passover in a while, which was the remembrance, the honoring of God that Egypt had when they were in Egypt, this angel of death had passed them over and that they were then delivered into the promised land, which is an indication and a type of Christ, where Christ, who is our Passover lamb, we escape the angel of death in our lives when we apply his blood to our lives. So it's a con- supposed to be a continual celebration, and they had stopped celebrating. And Josiah says, no, we're going to worship God the way we need to worship God. And so not only does he... He fetter out the evil and the idol worship. He restores God to his rightful place in the people. And I want to show you here, he's the king of Judah. Yet the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem, Israel came alongside and said, hey, uh, you're affecting us too. Now historically, Assyria who had conquered Israel was having... uh, problems, their empire was crumbling, and the Babylonians were in the process of uh, conquering the Assyrians, and so um, this is why Josiah kind of had this leeway to operate into Israel, because nobody was kind of watching Israel. They were too busy fighting uh, the Babylonians, so he uh, capitalized on that. So what we see from Josiah, we see this humbling of himself, we see this repentance of taking personal responsibility, this commitment to to follow God, and then the actions that followed that, this, this removing the evil and the idols, and this restoring proper worship to God. And as a result, Josiah is spared the judgment God had pronounced on Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 34, when, uh, verse 27, when Josiah had read the, the book of the law and realized that their actions were going to bring about judgment, he sent his his messengers to the prophetess. Can you guys turn there? And she prophesies this, which I want to pause for a minute here. Um, uh, it should be interesting to us today in a, in a, in a church world where we question um, you know, women in ministry. The, the king sent out uh, and asked for uh, a woman of God's thoughts on what was happening. So, this is an example that uh, God doesn't exclude women from ministry. Just, just a point on the side. 
2 Chronicles 34, 27. Because she's telling him this, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard that he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in your presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place on those who live here. Uh, personally for us, we know, that, we know that there's some form of judgment coming right on this earth. We can't continue to, to live the way we are with the, the way we're living and how we're living and the thoughts we're living. And, 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 and God at some point is going gonna, is gonna to come down and clean house. And, and this is an example for us that when Josiah repented and humbled himself before God and then sought to change things and do right, God saw his heart and listened to him and he escaped the judgment that was to come. That's a word for, for you and for I, uh, for me, that we too, when we turn ourselves and our hearts completely to God and we follow his ways, that we will escape the judgment that is to come. Let me, the life and reign of Josiah are examples to us in two ways. 2 Kings 23 uh, records the lengths that Josiah went to remove the evil and restore worship. And in verse 24 and 25, it says, Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. Next. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, had discovered in the presence of the Lord. Next. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Does this sound familiar? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here Josiah is shown as being like, hey, there was no king who turned to the Lord with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength than Josiah. And he did this by listening to the men and women of God and, and, and then seeking God. He did this by valuing the, well, the Scripture, Scripture of the day. He believed what it said. He repented in humility and then he, he acted on it. And as a result, Josiah escaped the punishment that was coming. And so if we're looking for reform, there's the model. To hear God. To value God's word and, and, and read it. When you find the disparity to, to, in humility, repent and say, God, I'm, I haven't been living appropriate the way you expect this way. I, I, I'm going to work to get rid of that in my life and to restoring proper worship. What else do we learn? Personal responsibility. You see, we know, we just read that Josiah turned to the Lord with his entire heart, with his entire uh, mind, with all his 
strength. So my question is, when we read the the second half of Jeremiah, why did Jeremiah continue to pronounce judgment on Judah? Why did Habakkuk come on the scene at the end of Josiah's reign and begin to pronounce judgment on Judah? Why, if the king is doing all of these awesome reforms and changing acts of worship and removing idols and doing the greatest reform of any king ever before him or who would come, why do the prophets continue to speak judgment on Judah? Because of this. Josiah turned to the Lord with his entire heart, but the people did not. You see, after Josiah died, the people returned immediately to the worshiping of other gods and idols. You can read about it uh, in Jeremiah. You can read about it in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapters 23 and 24 or 2 Chronicles chapter 36. As soon as Josiah was gone, they went back to their old ways. Which tells us the people's hearts had not turned. You say, well, what, do you, what does this mean for us then, Pastor Steve? It's this. Too often, we think that if a leader brings we're all set. Too often we think uh, it's the leader's responsibility to bring the change. Well, Josiah did that. He brought the change. And the people were content to sit back and let Josiah bring the change, but they weren't allowed the change to, to, to change them. And so the point is this. God continued to warn the people even while Josiah was bringing the reform. Saying, listen, people, change your ways. People, change your ways. You never seen the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah rebuking Josiah. But you do see Jeremiah rebuking all the kings after him because he was addressing the people. We have a personal responsibility to follow God and bring reform to our own lives, regardless of what our leaders are doing or not doing. God holds you accountable for you. We don't get a pass because, oh, you know, my pastor didn't do this, or my pastor let us get away with this, or my, my mayor let me do this, or my president this, or any of those kinds of things. We have a personal responsibility. You cannot use your leader as an excuse. You cannot use your leader as an excuse thinking you're good because of what they're doing. Elected the right guy. Now we can put it on cruise control, live our lives how we want. We're in good shape. He's taking care of all the dirty work for us, or she. Nor can we use them as an excuse of not following God because of the way they're leading us. I always know when it gets quiet, you're thinking hard about it. It's saddening to me that Josiah who's known as the king who turned to the Lord more with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he was so tenacious about bringing change and reform to his country. Uh, Some commentators even say he kind of forced it on the people. They didn't have buy-in. He just went in, and I'm doing it, and and he just cleaned the house, and this is what needs to happen, and yeah! And the people were just like, yeah, we'll wait till he dies, and we'll go back to doing what we do. It's sad that the work he did wasn't remembered just one king later. His own son picked up the mantle of his grandfather and great-grandfather and continued in wickedness. And the judgment that the prophets talked about on Judah 
came. My point is this, is that, church, if we want to see change, we have to change. It's, it's me. It's not the person across the aisle from you that needs to change. It's not the person in the state next to you that needs to change. It's not that other group or genre of people that need to change. We, we need to be the reform. This has to be reformed. And when this is reformed, and I'm taking care of this, and you're taking of your own this, guess what? Reform happens. And it's lasting reform. Not reform forced on by a leader or by laws or by any other kind of thing. We must take personal responsibility. Let me close with this, if we can. Personal reform. Josiah gives us an example of how to bring that reform. One, we cannot force people to follow God. Their heart must be in it. There has to be a heart change in people. You don't legislate, you don't force, or coerce, or any of those kinds of things to get people to bring about a change. Because it's temporary, it doesn't last. We've got to encourage people and ourselves to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for yourself. Call out to Him. Speak to Him. Let His presence come into your life. Value this word. Say, hey, God revealed Himself in three ways. He revealed Himself in creation. He revealed Himself in His word. And He revealed Himself through Jesus Christ. That's the three ways God has revealed Himself to us. And so if I want to know God, well, well, you know, maybe I should read what he gave me to reveal himself. So we value this as the word of God to us so that we can know God. So we value his word. And then we turn with our whole heart, soul, and strength by, with humility and repentance and action. We actively remove the idols from our life and we actively restore worship in our life. And when those things are working, reform is happening in us. Church, we live in in a season where there's society. There's a lot, a lot of finger pointing. All of the problems in our society are somebody else's fault. Regardless of where you fall on your views of the problem, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. And God is calling us to be a Josiah, to reform, to reform this. And to allow God's word and, 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 and God's voice and God's work to, to penetrate this and change this and remove evil from this and restore proper worship to this. And that's where our focus, uh, the majority of our focus should be. The New Testament says it like this. We should take the plank out of our own eye before we move it from others. The reform starts here. And my prayer for us today is simply this. Lord, may we turn to you with our whole heart, 
soul, mind, and strength as Josiah did. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that, that you're so active in our lives, that you have revealed yourself to us through your awesome creation, through the word that you gave us, the scriptures, and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, through those, you reveal, uh, you reveal what's evil, you, you, you instruct us on proper worship, and, and Lord, may we turn to you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, and with our whole strength, just as Josiah did. And Lord, if we would do those things in our lives, each one of us, we would, we would see reform happen within us, which would affect the people around us. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit's work in our lives to remind us, to lead us, to show us these things. Lord, show us when we need to humble ourselves and repent. Show us, Lord, when we need to stand strong in, in you and hold our head held high because of the grace and mercy we've received. Lord, help us to, to uh, restore the proper worship of you while also, Lord, removing anything we discover that's an idol in our life. Lord, help us not to use other people as excuses for why we do or don't do what we know we need, we need to do. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bring about change in our lives, in our church, and in our community, in the world around us, Lord. That we would be people who live for you, who love one another, who build your kingdom. Lord, we, we commit today, to, as Josiah did, to be people of your word, to be led by you, to allow your word to, to read us. Help us walk in your ways, Lord. We bless you, we love you, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's good to, uh, good to see you this morning and good to worship with you. Um, thanks for joining us if you're online. Um, have a great, great week.